Hi, welcome to the next episode of Herbal Wisdom. I'm Chris Vaughn, Certified Clinical Herbalist and the Owner and Program Director of Herbal Wisdom Institute in Arizona. And I wanted to talk with you today about the concept of herbal energetics and herbal flavors and how these two can simplify how you choose herbs. So I started thinking about, you know, where I was about 10 years ago when I was first studying herbalism in my course that I went through. And all of the subsequent education that I've given myself over the last 10 years, and, you know, a lot of it is, you know, nose in a book, really digging into herbal actions and phytochemicals and how these plants work within the body. And so when I start to talk with people who are new at herbs, um, it's really overwhelming for a lot of people. And I look back and I remember how overwhelming it was for me. I mean, I had like walls of charts that I was making to try to memorize all this stuff. And quite honestly, you can't, right? Like all of that just is not going to fit in the brain. We pick a few herbs that we, that we use and experience and we can remember that. But if we're simply coming at herbal medicine from an action and phytochemical standpoint, you know, we're going to get really confused and it's going to be really a burden um, to, to try to choose the correct herbs for the person that you're working with, whether that's yourself or a client or, or whoever. So, um, you know, this also came up because I get asked a lot, what do I take for condition X, right? Like fill in the blank, whatever that is. You know, somebody will call me up. What can I take for anxiety? What can I take for a headache? And the reality is it's not just a simple answer. There is, it's not like a pharmaceutical where, you know, we have one thing that we give for a headache or one thing that we give for anxiety. And so there's a lot of factors that play into how we would choose the correct herb or combination of herbs for any one individual having a particular condition. And so the first concept that I really want to remind people about is that when I'm working with a client, I don't really care what your labeled health condition is, you know, what they call that diagnosis. Um, What I care about more is what systems in the body are out of balance. What in the body is not in harmony and working at its optimal level? And from there, I begin to look at what are the herbs or nutrition that will help to balance that system or organ, uh, if we're talking about a particular organ, as opposed to what treats diabetes or what treats high blood pressure, okay? And so when, um, when we look at it in that way, this is where the, the idea of energetics and herbal flavors is really important. So we step out of the Western theory of prescribing herbs, and we step into 
are more Eastern traditions. Now, I'm a very eclectic practitioner, so I use whatever works, and I do a lot of blending of theories in the way that I look at herbs and in the way that I look at people. So that's the other piece. We can't just look at what herbs do. We have to look at who is this individual that we're working with and what is their constitution? What is their personality? How do they show up in the world? How do they respond to things around them? What is their life story? What have they been through, right? So all of these things matter. And so this is where energetics and herbal flavors really are helpful because we can look at an individual or a condition based on these concepts. So I want to take you through energetics and I want to take you through herbal flavors and give you really kind of a breakdown of what do these mean in terms of people and conditions and herbs and hopefully give you a really simple way to begin to um, formulate your herbs um, based on these concepts in a way that will really make sense and make things a little bit easier for you. And then, of course, yes, actions um, of herbs matter. So is it a cologog? Is it a carminative? You know, um, all those different actions, the anti-inflammatory, things like that. Um, and yes, we also pay attention to chemicals. But if you can understand energetics and herbal flavors first, your life will be so much easier. Okay, so... Let's, let's start with energetics. So when we're looking at energetics, we have four main energetics. So we have cold, hot, could also be cooling or warming. And then we have damp and dry or moistening and drying. Okay. So let's look at cold first. So cold conditions equal underactive functioning. Cold conditions equal underactive functioning. Now, when we look at, at a person who we would consider to be a cold individual, we, this person will walk into your office and maybe they hold themselves very tightly. So think about when you're in, in wintertime and you're outside and it's really cold out and, and it might be windy and we sort of huddle into ourselves and we get very tight. All of our muscles are very tight and we're very closed in. Hold, we might hold our arms in tight. We might cross our arms over each other. So that when I look at that presentation of a person standing in front of me, I would say that's a cold individual. There's very little movement. Um, now, emotionally, we can see that someone is cold as well. And so we describe people this way, right? We'll go, oh, she was so cold, meaning that they're not open and engaging, that they're very guarded, very um, tight in the way that they speak, and they don't share a lot. So, so we have clues visually of how this person might carry themselves. And maybe this person physically is cold a lot. Maybe they have a hard time regulating their body temperature. So this might be a person that wears a sweater in the middle of summer, right? Because they always just sort of have a chill. So 
that's, you know, visual presentation, emotional presentation, maybe in the way that someone speaks, they speak very coldly, very sterile. They don't have a lot of affection in their voice um, to the outside world. Okay. Now, cold conditions, we look at things um, like chronic fatigue syndrome. So this is an underactive immune response. This person might catch frequent colds. Um, they're tired all the time. They just can't seem to muster up that vital life force that gets them up and moving. And so they're extremely tired. The nervous system is also um, under-functioning if we look at chronic fatigue syndrome with the nervous system component. So this is a person that... Um, they're, they might have depression, they may not sleep well, and the, the nervous system also has a hard time regulating itself. Um, they, this person might have slow digestion, so maybe when they eat, they feel a lot of bloating because things, food doesn't feel like it moves through the digestive tract appropriately, or this person also suffers from nutrient deficiencies because maybe they're not assimilating nutrients from their food correctly. So there's a lot of things that can cause a person to be a cold constitution or to have a cold condition. So first thing would just be your genetic constitution in general. So we're all built differently and we all have different body structure and and different ways that our body functions and different systems of the body that just naturally are weaker or stronger than the individual next to them. So I love to look at constitutions from an Ayurvedic perspective. I love the Ayurvedic doshas, vata, pitta, kapha. To me, those are really easy concepts to understand. And if you're new to that concept, I encourage you to really um, Google Ayurvedic doshas and take a look at the descriptions of vata, pitta, and kapha. And you're going to recognize yourself in one of those. And there's a whole, um, you know, background system to it, but it can really be as simple as understanding a basic description of each one of those doshas. And then you have the ability to apply that to what you're seeing in an, in in an individual. So, uh, for example, I'm pitta which is a very hot constitution. Uh, but my, my youngest daughter is very vata, which is a cold constitution. So she is very thin, very wiry. Um, she's always physically cold. She wants to sleep a lot. So she has underactive functioning in some areas. Uh, she has some digestive coldness. Um, and so when your dosha is out of balance you can be cold or you can just be cold because that's the main factor of your dosha. Now, we can also develop coldness in the body because of things that we go through. So emotions, um, emotional trauma can make us go cold. So think about when maybe you've been hurt by someone 
And so you think to yourself, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. So we put this wall up. Um, somebody will, some people will call it a heart wall. Um, but we protect ourselves from having that happen again. We protect ourselves from people, from emotions that are hard to handle, from grief. And we sort of close ourselves off from others. Um, so that's a, that's a major cause of somebody developing coldness in the body or developing a cold health condition. Uh, a lot of things, just about everything starts from a place of emotions first. The other reason that we can develop cold conditions is from nutrition. So if we're eating the wrong foods for our constitution, and this is again where Ayurveda is really helpful, um, or traditional Chinese medicine is really helpful, um, because when we look at foods that are right for our constitution or foods that will bring imbalance to our constitution, um, then we can make some slight changes and bring ourselves back to a place of harmony. We can have coldness no matter what your constitution is if we eat too many raw foods. So raw foods are great for some people, not so great for others, depends on your, on your constitution. But no matter what, if we eat too many raw foods and we don't have enough warming things, we can develop coldness in the body. Or if we're eating too many raw foods in the wrong season. So some, you know, summertime, great time to eat raw food, right? It's hot out. The cold foods, the watery foods are really wonderful for cooling the body down. But if we're eating a lot of raw, cold food in the winter, we're going to increase coldness in the body. And so then we need to look at um, foods or herbal actions that will bring balance to cold. And so we would be looking at things that are warming to bring balance. So we, we're looking at that opposite energetic, okay? So we would be looking for warming aromatic herbs. So these a lot of times are your basic kitchen herbs. You're looking at things, you know, that bring a little bit of heat to the body, that bring a little bit of energy into the digestive system um, and really start to spark that inner vital life force fire again. Um, we can also look at carminatives. These are herbs that have action as well in the digestive tract and carminatives um, will help to uh, increase motility in the digestive tract as well as relieving excess gas that happens um, when things are just kind of sitting there. Uh, we also would look at maybe some warming adaptogen herbs. And so adaptogens are, is that class of herbs that, that help our body modulate how it responds to stressors. So that can be physical stressors, emotional, chemical stressors, you know, a, a variety of things. So our body goes through a physiological stress response regardless of what that stressor is. And adaptogens help to bring our body back into balance as a general rule okay so we would be looking at that category of herbs but specifically the ones that are warming so when you're experiencing cold 
we often will look for herbs that are opposite. So warming herbs or warming foods to bring that coldness back into balance. Now, if we're looking at hot, uh, the, const the energetic of hot. So hot equals hyperactivity in the body. So cold was underactive, hot is overactive. And this can arise from a fundamental yin and yang imbalance. So in Western terms, we think of homeostasis, okay? So that, that baseline balance within the body. In traditional Chinese medicine, it's yin and yang balance. And so when we are out of balance, we can ha create a very yang condition. So yang being hot, okay? Um, and so this person might show up like red in the face um, or a hot, fiery temper. So I mentioned it a little bit ago. I'm Pitta. I'm also redhead. So I am a very hot, fiery, feisty kind of person. Um, and everything I do is big and loud. I talk loudly. I talk fast. I, I really put force into everything that I do. That's a very hot constitution that I have. I love when people tell me I'm hot because I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so when we're looking at conditions, though, these are conditions that are going to be physically hot conditions. So we, you know, things like inflammation. Of course, we know inflammation is hot. It's inflamed. It's like fire. Um, parts of the body will be red. They might be swollen. Fever is a hot condition. Flushing of the skin is hot. Um, and so when we're looking at hot conditions, Really, inflammation, fever, flushing, those really can all be symptoms and not the root cause. So when we're looking at hot, we kind of want to look at what's the root cause of the heat. And so that may come from inflammation, it, say, in the digestive tract. Or maybe we have a virus or a bacteria in the body that is causing a hot condition, causing that fever. Uh, maybe we have hypertension. So that's high blood pressure, overactive blood pressure, and that would cause something like skin flushing, um, heart racing, things like that. And so when we're looking at hot conditions in the body, now we want to choose herbs that are cooling, that are calming, um, or foods that are cooling. Uh, and so you know, always looking to bring us back to yin-yang balance or homeostasis. And so when we're looking at hot, oftentimes um, it's digestive heat, liver heat. So, you know, the liver is uh, congested and bogged down and is having to work really hard. That's going to show up in short tempers, um, quick temper flares over minor things, right? So, so me being a hot person already, um, if, if my liver is hot, if I'm out of balance because of too many hot foods, like I love Mexican food, right? Love hot, spicy Mexican food. Uh, not so good for me if I'm eating that, of course, also in a hot time of the year. Uh, or if I'm eating too many hot chili peppers, then I will be out of balance. I'll be too hot and I get really short-tempered. So... Um, I can always sort of tell when I'm flying off the handle at little things that, oh, I think I need more cooling foods. And I start to eat things like cucumbers and melons and those things that are quickly going to cool me down. 
Now, along with cold and hot, then we have damp and dry. And so often when we're looking at a person or a condition, we're not just one energetic. We may be a blend of two different energetics. And so let's look at the, the energetic of damp. So the condition of damp is also considered high humidity in the body. So moisture content in the body, in the organs. Um, so these come from the traditional Chinese medicine elements of earth and metal. Earth creates dampness and metal stores it. So when damp is created, uh, maybe because of impaired digestion, it manifests in either the lungs or the large intestine. Those two are linked in traditional Chinese medicine. So if we have impaired digestion and it's causing dampness, and that dampness is settling in the lungs or manifesting in the lungs, now what we might find is excess phlegm created. So this is gonna be a person that's gonna be coughing up a, a lot of phlegm, they feel like they have a lot in their lungs or their throat is just very phlegmy. And so this most often will come from excess dairy consumption. And so when, and this could also be phlegm in the sinuses, not just in the lungs, but they'll just be over mucusy. Okay. And so anytime someone is over mucusy, uh, I recommend first that we remove dairy products and then we look at some herbs maybe that are a little more drying to help, help dry up some of that excess phlegm. Now, if Di impaired digestion manifests as dampness in the large intestines, then we will begin to see things like mucusy stools, uh, very loose stools, or maybe the stool is very sticky, or it has undigested bits of food. And so this most likely comes from an excess of very greasy fried foods. So we'll find this a lot in people who eat a lot of fast food, which is um, food that creates a lot of heat and dampness in the body. Some um, health conditions that we would associate with dampness would be high cholesterol. So that's excess fats. So again, think of the mucus in the large intestines, right? Excess fats, undigested fats. Um, cancer can be a cold condition. Um, and that's where the immune system really just is underactive in its ability to find and destroy cancerous cells. Um, metabolic disorders like prediabetes or they call it um, uh, insulin resistance or syndrome X or whatever. There's so many names for it, but um, metabolic disorder, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. We talked about chronic fatigue syndrome being a cold condition. So we would really look at it as being a cold, damp condition. Allergies are often considered damp. So think about when you're having an allergy attack, you get runny eyes, runny nose, like just like lots of moisture content um, as the body is trying to rid itself of the allergen that's causing the irritation. And then we look at um, skin conditions like eczema or psoriasis. Those are, you know, erupting from the skin and can be damp and crusty. And so that's dampness coming out through the skin. So when we, when we see how those conditions present in the body, we, we, and we go, oh, that's a, a damp condition. Now we go, okay, so I need 
herbs that are a little bit drying um, and that move fluid in the body. So we would be looking at those herbs like maybe uh, dandelion leaf, which is diuretic, um, nettles leaf, which is drying, also slightly diuretic, um, but it is very drying. So now we have to also be careful that we don't give too many drying herbs because we can over dry someone pretty quickly. So like if you're having a lot of um, sinus mucus, uh, a really good drying herb for sinus mucus is golden seal. But too much golden seal will dry all the mucous membranes up. And then you're in a worse situation because now you have very dry sinus passages and you can get a really bad headache. So important to always be thinking about balance. So even though it's a damp condition, if I'm giving drying herbs in a formula, I want to make sure I have at least one moistening herb in there to balance that formula out. So we would never give a formula that is all drying herbs, and we would never give a formula that is all moistening herbs or all cold or all hot. There's always got to be a balance. Just like in the body, your formulas have to have a balance as well. So now dry conditions, so this means lack of fluids, uh, can also be lack of lubrication in the joints, the tissues and the cells. Uh, this person might present with a really dry cough, really dry skin. Maybe they're experiencing osteoarthritis. They have lack of movement in their joints, very stiff, achy joints. Um, but this could also be a person that presents with a lot of anxiety and tension. Um, that anxiety and tension may even um, keep them from taking any action in their life, right? So this is very tight and dry. Um, stagnant and paralyzing conditions, both physically and emotionally, would be considered dry conditions. And so we're looking at nutritionally foods that are wet and watery to bring moisture back to the body. Um, foods that promote moisture in the tissues, and foods that are calming, nourishing, and soothing. And so often these will also be cooling as well as um, moistening to combat dry. Now, um, when we take a look at these four energetics, again, they don't typically all come just one at a time, you're going to typically have a combination. So you can have a condition that is cold and damp or cold and dry. You can have alternatively a condition that is hot and damp or hot and dry. And so when we begin to then look at herbs in this same energetic concept, then we can choose those ones that will balance out what's happening in the body. So the other um, concept is the concept of herbal flavors. And so I wanted to go through um, the energetics first, because when we go through flavors, you'll see where those energetics fit into flavors really nicely. So we have five herbal flavors. Now, herbal flavors does not necessarily mean flavor on the tongue. 
Um, so if I say an herb is sweet, you might take that herb and go, that is not sweet because our idea of sweet is like sugar sweet. And so that's not really what we're talking about. So herbal flavors um, describe more the action of what that herb is doing in the body. Now, sometimes the physical flavor matches that and sometimes it doesn't, but we're looking at it more as primary actions of this particular flavor. So your five flavors are sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and pungent. Pungent can also be called spicy. Um, and then in Ayurveda, they add a sixth flavor, which would be astringent. Um, we kind of put that in with sour or salty. It just, it depends on which herb we're talking about. So let's talk about sweet herbs first. So the primary action of the flavor sweet is that it calms nerves and it builds and tones tissue. So this is calming and building. And so some food sources that we would get in, as sweet would be things like fruit, of course. We have a, a physical sweet, um, milk, grains, and natural sugars. And so looking at the concept of, of sweet calming the nerves, think about when you're really stressed and all you want is chocolate cake. And so you get your chocolate cake and you sit down and you take that first bite. And I don't know about you, but this happens for me. I take that first bite and then like visibly sigh right? Like there's this immediate relaxation where I go, oh my gosh, that is so good. Am I the only one? I can't be the only one that does that. Like a really good piece of chocolate, right? Or cheesecake. You know, it's, it's those sweet things in life, right? That calm us and make us feel really nourished and loved. And so when we think of that idea of sweet, that leads us to our nervine herbs. A lot of our very calming herbs fall into this sweet category. So we would be looking at things like skullcap. So the um, Scutellaria lateriflora would be a sweet, calming herb for the nervous system. Um, and then we look at some of our mucilaginous demulcent herbs, so marshmallow, root, slippery elm, mullein, um, and then in the uh, adaptogen category, we're looking at maybe something like rhodiola or ashwagandha. Um, and so those are all um, herbs that have sweet as one of their primary flavors. Now, um, on that note, herbs can have more than one flavor. So something might be sweet and bitter, or sweet and sour, you know, so there's, you can have different actions depending on what it's doing in the body. Because again, this is all about action as opposed to physical flavor. So the sour, well, I'm going to jump to bitter first. So bitter herbs, uh, when we're talking about foods, think about dark leafy greens. Okay. Those really bitter, dark greens like kale. And so that bitter flavor, when it touches the tongue, 
It stimulates receptors in the body that send hormonal signals to the digestive tract to tell the digestive tract to get ready to digest food. So this bitter flavor boosts digestive capability and motility. Uh, the bitter flavor also helps us to detoxify tissue because along with digestion, it's stimulating the liver to produce bile and all of the enzymatic activity that needs to happen in the liver in order to break things down and eliminate things from the body. The bitter flavor lightens tissue through that detoxification. And so we're looking at herbs that are bitter, spices in your kitchen, and of course, dark leafy greens. And so some herbal examples of this bitter flavor would be dandelion, Oregon grape, uh, rhodiola is also bitter. I mentioned it was sweet, it's also bitter. Um, globe artichoke, that's one of my favorites that I add into bitter formulas. And so again, bitter boosts digestion and it does this by stimulating the production of digestive chemicals like hydrochloric acid in the stomach, mucin in the stomach to produce mucous membrane tissue, um, the pancreatic enzymes that help to break our food down, and the chemicals like pepsin that help to move things through the digestive tract. Um, and then it stimulates production of bile in the liver that then is excreted into the gallbladder so that we can help break down fat, okay? So then the next one would be sour. And bitter and sour really go hand in hand. So a lot of our bitter herbs are also just naturally sour. Sour herbs cleanse tissues and boost mineral absorption. Sour herbs also increase excretion of bile from the gallbladder. So we have bitter herbs which stimulate the production of bile in the liver. And then we have sour herbs that tell the gallbladder to release that bile so we can break down fats. And so that will happen in response to how much fat you're eating. And so uh, when we're looking at sour herbs, we're looking at, or sour food sources, we're looking at things like sour fruits, yogurts, um, fermented foods, uh, things like kombucha, fermented vegetables. And then in the herbal world, again, we're looking at something like uh, dandelion root, Oregon grape, globe artichoke, but we also have burdock root um, and even blueberry. Uh, we think blueberry is sweet, but it's, it's really a sour. Um, then we have salty. So that's our fourth flavor is salty. And salty can be either salt from mineral content or salt from actual salt, like in our seaweeds. And salty herbs boost digestion as well, and they lubricate tissues and improve flavor. And so we'd be looking at things like sea vegetables, um, dandelion leaf, yellow dock, those are all in the salty category. And you'll find a lot that your, um, your diuretic herbs are typically salty as one of their flavors. The fifth herbal flavor is pungent, or some would say spicy. 
And so again, these boost digestion, they boost metabolism, and they boost um, vital life force and immune activity. And so our pungent herbs are often herbs that are naturally antimicrobial. So something like garlic, uh, ginger, those are really great antimicrobials that are pungent. Your onions are going to be in the pungent category. Um, hot chili peppers, things that increase activity. So something like cayenne pepper that increases sweating, right? It's diaphoretic, um, but also maybe it in, these herbs increase circulation, right? So when we need to boost function, we look at hot, spicy, pungent herbs, okay? So those are your five flavors, sweet, bitter, sour, salty, and pungent. And so sweet herbs being calming um, are very cooling. Pungent herbs are very warming, right? Now, bitter herbs, you can have warming bitters or cooling bitters, same and sour, same and salty. And so this, these concepts of flavors and energetics just give us another way to look at choosing herbs to look at the person we're choosing the herbs for and how do we bring things back to balance so um, a reminder when you're choosing herbs for a formula that you want a balance within the formula so never choosing all cooling herbs or all warming herbs and you would not give a predominantly warm formula to a person who is predominantly warm or hot okay same thing with cold um, like a woman going through menopause for instance who's having a lot of hot flashes I am not going to give her a lot of ginger and garlic right she will hate me <laughs> so I'm going to be giving her some things that will cool those hot flashes down so you know be thinking of those concepts when you're looking at choosing your herbs I hope that these um these concepts are helpful for you. If this was the first time that you've heard this, um, I hope that you went, wow, this, this could be something that's really helpful. If you've heard this many times before, I hope you heard at least one thing that might have been different for you or that clarified something. I always love to know what people think. So feel free to, to message me through uh, herbalwisdominstitute.com. And let me know what you thought if you have any comments. If you're, on, if you're listening to this on podbean.com, you can leave a comment. Um, if you're on iTunes, thank you very much. Um, and subscribe to the podcast, either on Podbean or on iTunes, so that you also uh, get notification when there's a new episode that I've uploaded, okay? Uh, so I thank you so much for tuning in. I know this was uh, kind of a long one. Um, but I think it's really great information for us to be considering when we're formulating our herbal protocols. So again, if you want information about Herbal Wisdom Institute, you can go to herbalwisdominstitute.com. Check out our classes there. And I hope to be with you again on another episode of Herbal Wisdom. Talk with you soon. Bye-bye.